Will you join with me in a moment of prayer? Father, we are in a moment of change. Things are not as they were, and we are not sure of how they will be. There is vitality in this. The ripples of newness are invigorating. But there is a certain sadness, too, for we have yet another striking reminder that the world is changing, and the church is changing, and we are changing. No wonder, then, that this time brings on a certain hunger to latch on to something true and lasting. So we praise you, then, that you are here and you are not silent. Thank you for the promise that if we seek you, we will find you, and if we probe your word, you will nourish us as you see fit. So, Lord, Lord, this morning, be with the one who has stood here. May he sense our affection even at this moment, and be especially present for the one standing here now, and touch the ones who will stand in this place in the next few weeks, and the one who is in your eye to lead us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know whether there'll be a picture of the Grinches who steal Christmas up there, but if there is, it's a very interesting title for a series, The Grinches Who Steal Christmas. And this is neat because I've never been assigned a sermon topic before, and quite frankly, I love it. Uh, the Grinches Who Steal Christmas. When, when I received the assignment, my thoughts darted back to an incident I had not too long ago. Uh, my youngest grandson, Maddie, received a legacy of habits and traditions that I developed uh, a long time ago with my young two sons and his old two older brothers. Maddie the two-year-old is old enough to participate fully in the rough-and-tumble life with Grandpa. So I am the designated grandson-sitter. Maddie and me side-by-side side on the couch. I'm working on my smartphone, and he is teasing me. I said, you better watch out. I'm going to drag you down and then roll over you. No mystery why his teasing persisted. Again, I said, you better watch out. I'm going to drag you down and then I'm going to roll over you. And his older brothers are watching this very carefully because they know what drag you down and roll over you means. and. Rarely, they were poised to protect their little brother from their grandpa, a unique thing in and of itself. The teasing persisted, and all of a sudden I said, all right, Maddie, I'm going to drag you down, and I'm going to roll over you. And I couldn't believe my ears when I heard his reply, because he said, Grandpa, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I said, what? He said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Uh, 
And what troubles me is it's exactly the way I said it to you. So he's got my genes in him. And later that week, I got this assignment. Uh, and excited about this assignment, I immediately read the first line of Dr. Seuss's children's poem out loud to myself. It goes like this, every who down in Whoville like Christmas a lot, but the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So I scanned the story, uh, not believing what I was in for, and I discovered quickly that we are dealing with terms like the Who's and Whoville and Whodom and the Book of Who. Uh, have you ever tried to laugh ha, ha, ha after you've said who, who, who three times? It simply does not work. Say. So I'm assigned now uh, the job of preaching our way out of fantasy land, because that's what this poem is. Fantasy is where magic and monsters and myths and gods and heroes and adventures are all common tools that a writer uses to strengthen the story. Fantasy is where writers create places, invent creatures, imagine impossibilities, and spin brand new words and phrases. So those of us who have worked our way through the Lord of the Rings or the writings of C.S. Lewis, or for that matter, any of us who have walked through the corridors of Fantasyland and Disneyland, will know that a fantasy is an ingenious way of finding language that is big enough to capture and deliver a really big idea. I'm glad that J.R. Tolkien wrote in his Fellowship of the Ring, uh, not all those who wander are lost. And I read that to my wife one day, not all those who wander are lost. And she looked at me and said, want to bet? <laughs> Fantasy is not dumb. It helps the heart wrap itself around things that are too big for ordinary words to walk. So now we jump into the organization of what I might say to you this morning. And the first thing we're going to do is take a little look at this fantasy setting by Dr. Theophrastus Seuss or Theodore Seuss Geisel. And then after we look at his fantasy setting, uh, we're going to look at a historical setting that we read this morning, uh, described so beautifully by Matthew and Luke. And both settings are remarkable because they use strange words, words that we would do well to think about. So for a moment, let's look at this fantasy called the Grinch who stole Christmas. Uh, what in the world is a Grinch? Well, Dr. Seuss doesn't leave us wandering around. Uh, we hear his words, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel. You're a monster, Mr. Grinch. Your heart's an empty hole. Your brain is full of spiders. You've got garlic in your soul. 
You're a vile one, Mr. Grinch. You're a nasty, wasty skunk. Your heart is full of unwashed socks. Your soul is full of gunk. You're a rotter, Mr. Grinch. You're the king of sinful sots. Ever wondered what a sot is? That's someone who's had too many Coors Lights. I thought that would be useful information this morning. Your heart's a dead tomato squashed with moldy purple spots. The Grinch is, and I quote, an appalling dump heap, as appealing as a bad banana, a disgraceful assortment of deplorable rubbish. There is bristling clarity here, is there not? (laughs) So now that we know what a Grinch is, let's go deeper into fantasy land here and talk about what in the world the story is about. And it goes something like this. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be because his shoes were too tight. But I think the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. And there, hanging their stockings, he snarled with a sneer. Tomorrow is Christmas. It's practically here. Then he crowled with his Grinch fingers, nervously drumming I must find some way to stop Christmas from coming. Then he slid down the chimney a rather tight pinch. If Santa could do it, then so could the Grinch. Hmm. So now, what is Christmas in the Seuss fantasy? We've talked about the Grinch in the story. Uh, The word Christmas now appears in this title. According to Dr. Seuss, then he slithered and slunk with a smile most unpleasant around the whole room, and he took every present. 3,000 feet up, up the side of Mount Crumpet, he rode with his load to the tip-top to dump it. Poo-poo to the who's, he was grinchously humming. They're finding out now that no Christmas is coming. Christmas to Dr. Seuss. A little research about the history of Christmas would indicate to us that it is disguised in all kinds of seasons for all kinds of reasons. Uh, Would you believe that the idea of a celebration right around the December 20th area really is rooted in the ideas that the days are getting longer? (laughs) And I know I celebrate that because the golf desperation is showing that there's an end in sight. So there's reason to celebration because now on the 21st, the days start getting longer again. Do you realize that the church didn't start celebrating the birth of Christ for about three or four hundred years after he was born. And by the Middle Ages, 
Christmas looked more like the Mardi Gras in New England than it does today. Uh, the word Christmas really didn't come into existence till about 1,500 years after the birth of Christ. And when we get to the issues of trees and holly and mistletoe, they all have their origins in what the early church would call pagan. The Puritans opposed and banned Christmas. And would you believe it, in my early childhood, the church that I attended would not allow a Christmas tree in the sanctuary. The modern traditions we know of Christmas now really come from Charles Dickens when his book, The Christmas Carol, became popular in the 1800s. Musicians love to play with Christmas with great color and style. So it is that the composers will give us gripping titles like Santa Baby, hurry down the chimney tonight. I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus underneath the mistletoe last night. She didn't see me creep down the stairs to have a peep. She thought I was tucked up in my bedroom fast asleep. And my grandpa used to make me sing this, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. My two front teeth, yes, my two front teeth. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth so I could wish a Merry Christmas. Seems so long since I could say. Anybody know the next line? Sister Susie sitting on a thistle. G-O-G, how happy I would be if only I could whistle. Boy, is Christmas getting deep here. Mercy sakes alive. There are movies that are crammed into the idea of Christmas. It's a Wonderful Life, Miracle on 34th Street, A Christmas Carol, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, and an endless stream of syrupy sentiment on the Hallmark Channel. Mercy sakes alive. And then you have Bob and Betty in White Christmas. I have to watch that every year. A family tradition with an amazing plot. Here it comes. Are you ready? There is no snow in Vermont. Business is bad. Betty decides to be a brat. Nate, I don't know whether you're here this morning, but don't suggest that Betty's a brat, but she really is. Then Bing sings, what do you do with a general who stops being a general? And then Bob and Betty sing, may all your Christmases be white, and then it snows. Christmas. Christmas is the ultimate motivator for charitable organizations to make their budget. We have a pile of solicitations a foot high in our home. Christmas is the ultimate business opportunity for retailers to rescue their bottom line. I worked for a corporation in which 40% of our revenue came between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Christmas is a time for remarkable ceasefires in world wars. Christmas is a holly jolly federal holiday. Christmas is chaos starting with Macy's Day Parade, moving to Black Friday, Christmas Eve, and endless after Christmas sales and then New Year's. Christmas is the ultimate, ultimate family, family tradition, turkey and presents and 
outings in Grandma's house. Christmas is a gargantuan word. It is thrown around in every direction. It has become so big, it defies definition. It is understandable, then, that Christmas today continues to be disguised and distorted and diluted in any way possible. And then to top all of this off, the Grinch, the story, Christmas, how in the world is something like this stolen? If I suggested to my three grandsons, guys, tomorrow night, let's go down and steal Sports Authority Field, they would probably say, Grandpa, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And they're wise, so maybe if we can't steal it, we can drape it in 7,500 nylon panels and disguise it real well. But let's turn the page on this, because we're not here for fantasy this morning. Let's leave Dr. Seuss and take a look at the historical setting of the Christmas event, because the, the, the text that I read this morning gives us an opportunity to unmask Christmas, to rip off the costume, uh, to see it as it really is through the eyes of Matthew, Luke, and Peter, and maybe some explanatory work by the Apostle Jude. So what we're going to do for about the next five minutes is review the variety and color of how Luke and Matthew refer to the power in and around and behind and over and through the birth of Christ. And in this story, you're going to see references to the power of God. And what we're going to do is we're going to zoom in and see what this power does. And then we'll zoom in a little tighter and see what this power does to our minds and hearts. So we read in this account that Joseph went up to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, and to Bethlehem, to the town of David, where they were. The time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So now we're into history, and what we see right away is Mary had a baby. Mothers do that. She dressed him. Mothers do that. She laid him down. Mothers do that. And they named him. Mothers do that too. That's it. But if you take a look at the words in the Christmas story, note the huge words, the gargantuan words, the words that plead for definition, the words that must not wander around looking for a definition. The words that shouldn't be disguised by fantasy or expediency. Because in this story, Matthew first uses the word God in his birthday account. I left in the story all the other words small so they wouldn't disguise that at the end of the count we read the word God. In the Bible, we know God as our creator. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Can I zoom in on this thing for a second with a microscope and say, what does that word mean to me? Because of the creative power of God, I am not a fluke. 
Matthew, in this account, then uses the word Lord. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. In the Bible, we know the Lord as ruler. Paul writes to us again, And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does this mean to me now when I take the microscope and go through the disguise and say, what does that mean to me? I can say, because of the ruling power of the Lord, I am not alone. In this particular text, Matthew then uses the word Jesus. And he gave them the name Jesus. In the Bible, we know Jesus as our lover. Again, Paul zooms the microscope in for a second and he writes, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of the love power of Jesus, I am not junk. Then Luke uses the word Christ. He is Christ the Lord. In the Bible, we know Christ as our Redeemer. Paul again takes the microscope and he writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old one is gone, the new one has come. What in the world does that mean to me other than because of the redeeming power of Christ? I am not lost. And then in this account, we see the word Savior. Today, in the town of David, has been born to you a Savior. In the Bible, we know Savior is healer. And an absolute marvelous statement by the Apostle Jude. And now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord. Before all ages, now and forevermore, healer. Because of the healing power of the Savior, I'm not terminal. And then Matthew uses the word spirit. He says, because of what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, we know the Spirit as our indweller. And again, Paul zooms in the microscope and says, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. What does this mean to me? Because of the indwelling power of the Spirit, I am not empty. And then Matthew uses the word Emmanuel. He says, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And in the Bible, we know Emmanuel to be our defender. So Paul again takes the microscope and he says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors 
through him who loved us. And so because of the defending power of the Emmanuel, I'm not a loser. And then Matthew in this account uses the, the final word, God with us. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in the Bible, the word God with us means he's my deliverer. Again, John says this is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his only one and, one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Paul sees it closer. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does this mean to me? And here is one of the biggest words. Don't be shocked by it. Because of the delivering power of God, I am not damned. These references to God and the surrounding power of the birth story bear repeating. Because of the creative power of God, we are not flukes. Because of the ruling power of the Lord, we are not alone. Because of the love power of Jesus, we are not junk. Because of the redeeming power of Christ, we are not lost. Because of the healing power of the Savior, we are not terminal. Because of the indwelling power of the Spirit, we are not empty. Because of the defending power of the manual, we are not losers. And because of the delivering power of God, we are not damned. This is God revealed. Here is Christianity in its bare naked reality. This is what the Christmas event was all about. It is Christianity totally unmasked. And if I were to write a paper like this to a philosophy professor at the University of Colorado, he'd say that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Thankfully, Dr. Seuss doesn't thoroughly disguise this idea. 3,000 feet up, up the side of Mount Crumpus, he rode with his load to the tip-top to dump it. Poo-poo to the who's, he was grinchously humming. They're finding out now that no Christmas is coming. What an idea. They're just waking up. I know just what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open a minute or two. Then the who's down in Whoville will all cry boo-hoo. That's a noise, grinned the Grinch, that I simply must hear. So he paused and the Grinch put his hand to his ear. And he did hear a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, then it started to grow. But the sound wasn't sad. Why, the sound sounded merry. It couldn't be so, but it was merry, very. He stared down at Whoville. The Grinch popped his eyes. Then he shook. What he saw was a shocking surprise. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presents at all. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. What happened then, well, in Whoville, they say, 
that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. The meaning of Christmas, our creator, our lover, our redeemer, our ruler, our healer, our indweller, our defender, our deliverer is above us and around us and below us and behind us and in us. And his presence can't be more comprehensive and personal than this. And so Peter says at Pentecost, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And the church was born. What do we do about all this? Grinches will try to steal Christmas by disguising all this. Businesses will exploit it. Schools will avoid it. Politicians will squirm over it. The courts will try to put it where it thinks it needs to be. Screenwriters and composers will squeeze it for every ounce of sentiment and beauty it can produce, and I think that's okay. I think that to hope for them to do anything is different than that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So I suggest we keep doing our job. I suggest that we, West Bowles, keep our passion stirred, keep our direction clear, and our focus sharp, because the world is changing, and the church is changing, and we are changing. Would you stand with me, please, as I close? Father God, you wrapped history, its beginning and its end around a birth. You came to be with us inside our hearts. Your power is both tender and explosive. So I ask for those with hearts shrinking in pain hearts found to be a few sizes too small for what seems to come, that they with us would find your all-encompassing presence. May we not miss it because of how it is hidden from those who will not seek. You've promised if we seek, we will find. So God, you made Jesus both Lord and Christ, and you made us your church, your sweetheart, your darling, your beloved, your cherished, your bride. So let us grasp on tenaciously to our task to make this news clear. A Savior, a Savior has been born to us, and He is Christ the Lord. 
It is in your blessed name that we pray. Amen. Join us next week, will you?